This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today we have a special guest, former Army helicopter mechanic, Madison Johnston. He helps veterans transition from being a military to a civilian mechanic. But right before we begin, a few announcements. If you have any questions, comments, inspirational stories, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. If you want to be a guest just like uh, Madison here, please check out uh, the website, aviationcareerspodcast.com. How to be a guest is real simple. Uh, we'll sign you up for uh, you know a quick interview just like we do here. We'd love to hear your stories. Also, if you're looking for a career coaching, counseling, furlough counseling, uh, we do that also through our coaching services. And don't forget that $120 million worth of, of scholarships we have in the scholarships guide. You might be able to get that guide for free using the coupon code PAYITFORWARD. Another comment I've gotten from people is uh, they like that we're putting the Q&As on our YouTube channel. So go out to to aviationcareerspodcast.com, click on YouTube. And uh, and we're doing, uh, if you've heard the podcast, you don't get to see some of the pictures that I put out there. And I do I use a lot of B-roll and a lot of pictures of airplanes, so it's kind of fun to watch. Uh, and I also, as I'm reading the question, it pops up on the screen. I'd love to hear your comments on that, so please go out there and check it out. Anyway, on with the show. Uh, again, I have with us, uh, he's an Army help helicopter mechanic, Madison Johnston. He's a retired Army helicopter mechanic. He actually has uh, moved into the civilian world and is working as a contractor. I'm sitting here and I'm really hot right now. It's 80 something degrees, but uh, Madison is not. He is, his, I could tell you're, you're a little bit cold there. Welcome to the podcast, Madison from Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a little chilly tonight. Um, supposed to get down into the, uh, the high, low 40s tonight. Um, oh. <laughs> we're expecting some snow later on this, uh, this next week. So that'll be fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, we, uh, we haven't had snow in Florida, maybe a little bit in North Florida, but, uh, I do travel up North quite a bit, but I know it gets really, really cold and windy in Afghanistan. And I, I haven't actually traveled over there. I have a lot of friends there and clients and, uh, it's, uh, it really, it's a fascinating country. Uh, but I know you're doing some work. We're not going to say where you are and who you're working for, uh, but uh, it's uh, it's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into that, uh, just a, a little bit about yourself. I mean, you you were an Army helicopter mechanic, and correct me if I'm wrong if you were if you're retired. But tell me a little bit about your journey towards becoming a mechanic in the Army, and now here as a contractor. Well, I actually uh, I wrote you guys on Stuck Mike a while back, about a year ago, and I told you uh, about my my journey through aviation and uh, I always really loved it and I decided to join the army as a pathway to try to become a pilot. Uh, my recruiter told me that the warrant officer program would have been the best route uh, but I had to get a job as a mechanic first because that would be the best way into that. Uh, ended up liking working on aircraft almost as much as I liked flying them uh, so I stuck with it and did my, my six years. I did not retire. I ended up getting out because I had this lucrative, lucrative opportunity out here as a contractor and uh, sort of fell into my job that uh, I, I'm doing on the side now where I'm, I'm coaching and helping with resumes and interviews. Uh, as I was getting out, I realized there was not a whole lot of information given to us 
until really after the fact. A lot of people would discover programs later on. And uh, so I, I thought, well, why not just help people figure those out before they miss out on those opportunities? And so that's how I ended up here. You know, that's something that um, is really important to us. I, you know, I work a lot with veterans, and that's a comment I hear often, uh, is a lot of times they don't find out about those uh, different facilities, programs, et cetera, until they get out. And I think what you're doing is a great thing. Um, and uh, and having worked with a lot of folks in the military, it's been, been a wonderful, wonderful uh, avenue, what you're doing, and also some of these other things out there. There's so much out there, it's just they don't know about it, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, one quick thing, though, if we just go back quickly on the on the whole flying part of it before we dive into the to the mechanic side. So you you actually like to fly. Uh, what type of ratings do you have, and and what type of recreational flying do you do? So I actually don't have any ratings currently. Uh, I was working towards my private. I got my first class medical before I came out here, um, but I actually fly Part One Hundred Three ultralights. Uh, so I, I have. Uh, my friend, my best friend, and I from the army. Uh, we have between us four hangars currently and uh, nine aircraft. <laughs> wow! So wow! Yeah, it's a uh, that actually it's interesting. It's a, that's a whole cool world out there. And, and actually, we won't talk about it here. We may have you back on just to talk about uh, you know the the whole ultralight world. Uh, that would actually be more on a stuck mic avcast than here. Uh, but it really is. It's real flying, man. You're out there right in the wind. You know, bugs in your teeth kind of thing. Yeah, I really enjoy it. I'm actually I'm building an aircraft uh, when I get back into the states. I purchased a uh, a Newport 17 replica uh, kit. So. Cool. Well, that, that's neat that you're really passionate about aviation. Uh, your passion for aviation comes through, especially in what you're doing right now uh, in the military. Uh, and there's a tie in there. I, I, I assume that you agree. It's just great being around airplanes. Isn't oh, it? absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I went into my recruiter's office and I said, I wanted to fly. And he said, do you have a college degree? And I told him no. And he said, well, you could be a mechanic. I said, as long as I get to be around anything that gets up in the air, I don't care if I'm turning wrenches on it or behind the controls. I just want to be around it. And I spent six years around it. It was amazing. I, I would not change it for the world. Uh, there are some experiences that I wish that I hadn't had to go through, but uh, <laughs> I think everybody encounters that through their life. So, Yeah, and, uh, and some of those we might talk a little bit about. Um, and... As far as being a mechanic in the military, to segue into that, what uh, what are some of the challenges that you feel if someone's looking to become a mechanic in the military? Uh, well, honestly, if you can read in the instructions in a book and know what a wrench looks like, you can be a mechanic in the military. Uh, it's it's very much um, it's very easy to do. Um, as long as you have any mechanical aptitude, and even if you don't, you can learn it. Uh, so if, you, if you're passionate about aviation and you really want to learn how to work on aircraft, uh, the military is a great resource for that. If you can handle the commitment, uh, a lot of times you're going to be stationed away from family. Uh, I got lucky I got stationed two hours away from where I grew up, and I spent my whole career there. So uh, that was nice, but I did go and I deployed a lot. Um, so I was away for months at a time. Uh, I had long, long hours. Uh, there were times where I'd work 12, 16-hour days, uh, five, six days a week. Uh, the 
there's a culture of toxic leadership that is changing, thankfully, uh, through the military. Um, as a lot of us that, that dealt with it grew up and through the ranks, it started to change. Uh, but it's, it's something that you'll have to deal with. Uh, you'll get leaders that you don't get along with. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's civilian life as well. You're going to run into people you don't get along with, and you got to learn how to deal with that. Uh, but you know, it's just incredibly rewarding to be able to work on, uh, on these aircraft and know that your ability to get that aircraft finished on time and out the door is accomplishing mission somewhere. And, uh, if you're, if you're really lucky, uh, you'll get into a flight crew and you'll end up, uh, like, so I worked on Chinooks and, uh, Chinooks and Blackhawks, uh, you actually have crew members other than the pilots that are on those. So if you, if you get lucky enough to make it through selection for that, then you can actually crew on those as well. And uh, that's super cool. Uh, I think that's pretty neat being a part of a team. One other thing, too, I think some people don't understand, and I get this question a lot, is so why don't you just choose a place that's on the beach somewhere nice? <laughs> Oh boy, I wish I could. Uh, you know, I, I enlisted and uh, they, they give you this, this list called your ask list. And uh, so you put your top three stateside locations that you want to go and your top three out of the state locations you want to go. And then based on your job that you enlisted for in the military and where the army needs those jobs, excuse me, they uh, will put you in hopefully one of your six choices. Uh, luckily, I ended up going uh, to the uh, 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment uh, at 4th at, uh, Battalion at Joint Base Lewis-McChord, uh, which was two hours away from where I grew up, two and a half. Um, and that was one of my first choices was there. And my parents thought I was crazy for picking that. But, you know, who's crazy now? I... Uh, <laughs> I got a great job out here, and while I was in, you get 30 days of vacation a year. I didn't have to use it to go home for holidays because I got those holidays off, and I got to go wherever I wanted for those 30 days. I'd just take that 30 days off at the end of the year right before it expired and go wherever I wanted. So, Speaking of which, you know, in the airlines, they have, like, jump seat privileges and pass riding. Is there something similar in the military? Yes, uh, space available. Um so uh, the order of precedence for that is going to be cargo, and then active duty, uh, then retirees and veterans uh, and their family members. So anyone who has ever served can fly space available, but if there's something that takes priority over you, then you're not going to get a seat on that aircraft. Um, so, but you can go, as long as you have access to a base with an airfield, go there, go to the passenger terminal and say, is there space on this flight going here? They'll tell you yes. You grab your stuff. You get on that aircraft. But you really gotta, you gotta um, account for the time just in case you get bumped. So, uh, if I was to ever fly space available, I'd I'd budget an extra week or two into my vacation time just to make sure that I could get home. That's quite a bit. I mean, for someone who's an airline pilot, I, I had to go space available all the time, but it's a little bit different. Uh, when I go space available, they're coming around with, you know, hot coffee or <laughs> cookies and things like that. I think the environment might be a little different in the military. Yeah, it's it's a bit louder. Um, 
if you get a spot on a C5, they do have the passenger deck, which is just like sitting in a normal passenger aircraft, but you're backwards. Um, so you're facing the tail of the plane rather than the nose. But uh, if you're flying on a C-17 or a C-130, you're in a canvas seat or a hard plastic seat that's just stuck to the side of the aircraft and whatever cargo else is in there with you. So, I mean, I, had a, I flew from, from one base to another out here on a C-130 uh, just a couple months ago. And uh, what should have been a three-hour hop took seven hours because we had to take the cargo and the other people on the aircraft to different places around Afghanistan. So your flight can take a lot longer. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. You know, you talked about some of the rewards about being part of a team. Um, as far as becoming a military mechanic, what are some of the, the other rewards, rewards uh, possibly career-wise, et cetera? Uh, the, the great thing about any aviation uh, military occupational specialty is that once you've done, uh, I think it's it's three years total time, uh, so you've been at your unit for 18 months actually doing your job, you qualify under CFR uh, uh, 14 CFR Part 65 for the experience uh, qualifications for your airframe and power plant certificate. So you can go actually to the uh, FISDO, meet with an ASI, and get your authorization to test, your 8610-2s. And uh, the Army, while you're still in, will actually pay for your written tests. And uh, so you only have to end up paying out of pocket for the, uh, the oral and practicals. And if you make it far enough up in rank, uh, when you go to what's called advanced leadership course, uh, going from E5 to E6 in rank, uh, you actually have the opportunity to have a DME meet with you and get your oral and practicals uh, signed off as well. So the Army will fully pay for your AMP if you stay in long enough. And if you don't stay in long enough, there are programs that you can get through an accelerated course uh, and get your AMP on the way out. So you have a, a easy gateway into the civilian career if you know where to look. And that DME is a designated mechanic examiner, yes. and uh, there's there's a lot of them in and around where I am right now, and it's a really neat service. Uh, but that is a a big deal. I mean, you get all this experience, and then all you have to it's basically some paperwork and a few other things to to finish up, and it's it's not a huge transition. The huge transition really is transitioning back to civilian life, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, the biggest thing, so working in the contracting world, you work with a lot of people that got out and went straight into contracting because it's the closest thing they could get to being in the military without being in the military. It's, you're working for them, uh, you're doing your same job, and you're working around the same type of people. Uh, and a lot of them even have a hard time with that transition. Um, the the other hard thing is is really if you're if you're army you're not going to have any fixed wing experience on your on your way out with your AMP so if you decide to go into the fixed wing world you will have a steep learning curve but uh, I mean aircraft is an aircraft if your wings are rotating above your head or or straight out to your sides uh, the systems systems still are pretty similar so yeah and. Those skills that you have will definitely transfer. It's just a little little extra work. I, I know one thing that I hear a lot of 
from folks that I work with transitioning out is the fact that it is a definitely a different culture and um, you're in these different pockets throughout the military that you miss when you get out. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that I miss the military itself. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that I don't miss about the military, but what I do miss is the, the brotherhood, the, the connection with the people that I worked with. I, I didn't get along with them at all the time, but it's just like, it's another family. It's an extended family that you really miss when you get out. You miss the camaraderie and the, the ribbing. And it's, it's definitely a culture shift to go from military to civilian. One of the things that's out there for people is uh, there's lots of different organizations, uh, like the American Legion. Obviously, I'm very involved with that. And uh, there's many different organizations, VFW. The, but in general, um, and I know people seek out that that camaraderie, it's, uh, it's not going to be the same. It's, uh, you're going to miss it. My wife talks about it to this day, and it's like 20-some-odd years later. Uh, and uh, it's something that is good. I mean, you want to you want to keep those memories, uh, but sometimes I think a lot of people have difficulty moving forward, and that's kind of a lot of what you started doing is helping people transition out into the civilian world uh, through basically the career coaching and and that thing, especially focusing on on some of the mechanic jobs. Um, but before we talk a little bit about that, like right now, you keep talking about this contract thing. So let me understand first what it is that you're doing and how that works. How do you become a contractor to the military as a mechanic? So uh, there's a couple of different types of contractors. Uh, what I am is a, is a um, civilian contractor. So the company that I work for has a DOD contract for the aviation maintenance out here. Um, and then they hire me on as a civilian and I work under them with uh, a permission to work on that base from that company uh, or you can work directly for the government as a DOD contractor um, and a lot of those positions are a little bit more uh, hard, hard to find um, but they're out there uh, you can get them through the National Guard uh, if, you, if they're hiring for full-time techs a lot of the time you have to be actually enlisted in that National Guard unit to get that job, but sometimes they hire outside that. Uh, but the USA Jobs, uh, there's, there's all kinds of ways to find these, these contracts. Um, so one thing that I hear a lot is from people saying, hey, you have to be former military to do these contracts. And uh, I think that's a big misconception, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I work with a ton of uh, a ton of people that never that never went into the military. Uh, if you don't have military experience, you will probably be required to have your AMP um, just because they need proof that you have aviation maintenance experience. Uh, you probably won't get hired on at the same pay rate as someone who came out of the military because they take your experience directly from your military occupational specialty and translate that into time on that airframe so that uh, you're actually more experienced than the guy who went and got his AMP and has fixed wing experience or, or just came straight out of school and got a job as a contractor there. So, so um, 
in the military, you also have to go through a background check. I know we do a lot of videos about, you know, what if I have a DUI or those kind of, what, how about my background? Um, is there going to be any challenges for someone, say, that has a DUI or arrest on the record? I'm assuming they go through the same TS or top secret clearance or that you have to go through as a, in the military. So uh, I, I had an easier time with my security clearance. Um, this specific contract only requires a NACI which is uh, a NATO security clearance. Uh, it's a little bit less hard to get than, say, a U.S. government top secret or secret clearance. Um, but my, my, because my secret clearance from the Army was still valid, they were essentially able to translate that to a NACI. Um, a few of the people I work with actually got released from the military due to DUIs, and they still got out here. Um, it, it's, it's really not a, a hindrance to have anything other than really maybe a felony. Um, I don't think you're going to really run into any issues with getting a NACI uh, unless you have violent crime or uh, something really bad in your record. Uh, you should be able to get out here and get a NACI. So it's very similar to the airlines uh, yeah. as far as the background. Because, uh, again, some people think you have to have a top secret and you don't. I'm glad you, you brought that up. Um, and moving from the civilian world to the military contract world, do you see that you're former military, but do you see that as a challenge for some of the people that aren't uh, military? I don't actually. Uh, one of one of the most knowledgeable airframe mechanics that I know, I actually, he he was out here, and all he does, all he's ever done, is work for government contracts. He he worked uh, doing resets for a while on um, some. Dash eights that the Air Force used. Then he did some uh, some retrofitting for some Chinooks. Uh, he's he's done all kinds of stuff, uh, and he just he, he puts in uh, a resume into USA Jobs and he looks for uh, a contracting gig and applies for it. Talks to the recruiter and away he goes. And one more question before we start talking about how you help with coaching is. I, I've noticed one thing, I wish we could show this on video, is that it's kind of cold where you are, and it seems that, um, you know, when you move into the contracting world, that you have a similar uh, type of living arrangement as the military folks do. Is that true? Yes. Uh, out here, I live in the same sort of accommodations that the military, military do. So I, I live in a, uh, a shipping container, essentially, that's been retrofitted into a housing unit uh, with one other person and two bunk beds with some lockers for our stuff so yeah and i can tell it's not quite as insulated i can hear some of the rotors in the background and also you're sitting here in a jacket and yeah. kind of shivering a little bit here yeah it's, uh, it's pretty chilly out <laughs> so that's one other thing to, to realize if you do some contracts overseas i mean there's also yeah. con lots of contract jobs in the u.s and that's something we, we forgot to mention is that there are definitely a ton of contract yep. jobs in the u.s actually a lot of the so when i was still in and i was with the the 160th we actually con we had a contract group uh, that worked with us because we had such a high op tempo. Like we couldn't, with just our guys, keep up with the workload. So we would contract out to civilians, and a lot of those guys uh, were actually civilians with no military background. Uh, some of them came from us that got out of the military and got a job with the company that had the contract at the time. Uh, so, like, K and Associates is a, is a big one that has a lot of the stateside contracts on the West Coast. Um, 
and that that's uh, they're all over the place. You can get them at any air, any military installation with aircraft on it. It probably has a contract team. So, so the jobs are out there. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but first of all, you, we, let's go back to what you're talking about transitioning from being a mechanic in the military to the civilian world. That's something that you've been doing. Uh, tell us a little bit about what uh, services uh, that you provide. So what I do is uh, I try to catch guys before they exit uh, because there's all kinds of programs out there for transitioning, uh, like one that I went through, one that I went through with Joint Base Lewis McCord was one of the first AMP accelerated courses that was offered by what's called the Career Skills Program through the Army. Uh, and they work with uh, Boeing and all the big names out there in Washington. And South Seattle Sound College has a AMP college degree program. And so they, they put you through a six-week accelerated course there. Uh, you basically take your knowledge base and they throw a bunch of extra at you so that you can pass your knowledge tests and your and your practical tests uh, and this last year the army actually launched a new program called SkillBridge. Uh, actually it's a DOD wide program so it's all branches and uh, so what I try to do is I, I try to catch these guys who are thinking about getting out and give them a quick rundown of what's available because a lot of the stuff you don't know about is available until you're inside that last six month window and that can actually cause you to miss a lot of these opportunities because they have to ha they have to be done in your last 180 days on your way out. Uh, but for those that miss those opportunities, I try to point them in the direction of uh, the accelerated programs like uh, Global School of Aeronautics, which is actually uh, able to take your GI Bill, your VA benefits, uh, and get you through an, an accelerated course kind of similar to, I don't know if you know Baker's School of Aeronautics? Uh, it's another accelerated course. Um, and so it's similar to that, but they're able to take your VA benefits and put you through and get your tests done. And um, all kind of, it, it, there's all kinds of programs out there for those of us that have already trans transitioned as well. So. Yeah, there's many of them out there and uh, more, more than we even know. I mean, there's just so many out there and uh, some are small. That's why you don't see them as much. They don't ever have the big advertising budgets, but uh, there's quite a few throughout. Uh, look where you live first, you know, right? There's one yep. place to start. Um, speaking of which, uh, what advice do you have for veterans? Uh, we talked a little bit about a few things, but what other things uh, would you give as advice to somebody who's looking at getting out? I start early. Start early if you know you're getting out. I started my process almost 18 months out from the end of my contract because I knew that I wanted to move forward. I wanted to go and work as a civilian, get my AMP, and and move on. Um, if you end up getting medically separated or separated for another reason and you don't have a whole lot of time, start quickly. Talk to your uh, career skill or talk to your career skills program uh, at your transition center on base, or go to your ed education center and figure out what's out there. Talk to people. Uh, that's the only way you're going to know what programs are out there is by talking to people, and even those people don't know all these programs. Uh, one, the guy who helped me get into the program that I went through, I was talking to him, trying to get contact information for his counterpart at another base so that I could hook up one of the guys that was over on the East Coast with that information. And 
he didn't even know about the skill bridge program yet. Uh, or, or he didn't know as much as I knew. And, and all I knew was what I was able to glean from my contacts and my, uh, internet research. So, so that's a, a valuable, uh, advice, but of course, working with someone like yourself, a career coach that helps a lot too, during this transition, um, one one other thing too, and I, I just go back two seconds for contracting. When you are doing a military contract, you are in the same spot, so I think uh, that the soldiers are. So there are some security issues. I think some family uh, might be concerned about. In other words, you you also are in the areas that aren't sometimes the safest place in the world. That's correct. Uh, I actually gave my family a bit of a scare while I was at my last location uh because of something that happened i was like hey, hey guess what just happened guys don't worry i was at work <laughs> but uh and uh, my parents are used to it my my whole family is used to it because i i would come out here this is the same place i came out here as active duty so i they knew what to expect when i came out here but uh, if if you haven't been out here uh or you don't have family who's experienced a deployed environment it does get a little nerve wracking. And uh, especially if you're in a situation like me where I'm on day shift and all my family's on the West Coast, uh, they're 12 and a half hours different. So for me, it's nine o'clock at night, but for them, it's 8.30 in the morning. And I have work from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day. So I get maybe 20, 30 minutes in the afternoon for them before uh, I have to go to work. And then if I stay up until 11 o'clock at night, I can get a few hours to talk to them at night. But uh, communication is difficult, not as difficult as it used to be. uh, Now that we have internet everywhere and mobile phones and uh, my family is always remarking about how incredible it is to be able to talk to me and have a clear conversation from halfway across the world. So... I'm in Florida, you're in Afghanistan, and this is we're having this conversation. It's it's actually phenomenal, which is just just terrific, and uh, which is another thing to consider is that you will be able to communicate. It's just those time that time zone thing is a bit of a yeah. shift, um, and kind of like the traveling salesman type of thing. Uh, but but again, that's something else you have to realize. There's probably special insurance like we have at the airlines uh, uh, that you're covered for if something does happen uh, while you're overseas. Yeah, uh, the airlines that get us out and back, because uh, we, we do fly some, uh, commercial in and out of here. Um, they do. There is insurance on all of our stuff coming in and out. Um, uh, there's lost baggage claims and all that. Uh, but, I mean, that's it's pretty similar, uh, I would say. Right. So those haven't don't change much. But um, one thing that I think is really important to realize is that they're uh, also very lucrative. I think you talked about that and everybody talked to you as far as uh, contracting is concerned. It really is. Uh, it, it's a great environment. That's for sure. Yeah, I, um, I would say that uh, it is very lucrative, but like you say with certain airlines and the, the benefits packages that certain airlines provide, you really have to look at the whole package uh, because but I'm making six figures out here, uh, but I am working seven days a week 12 hours a day. And with this COVID that happened, I haven't been home in nine months and I won't be home for another three. So you, oh, wow. you have that risk of, of not being able to get home or, uh, 
not the the contract not being fulfilled uh, on their end sometimes. Um, but I mean, I'm I'm making hundred and some odd thousand being out here. So it, it, it's financially, it's 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 very lucrative. But you have to be prepared for the negatives and the possible shortcomings of that as well. You have to look at the whole package. Right. That's like in anything we do in life. And that's why a lot of times we work as a career coach. Um, you know, th- this has been great. But uh, one thing we do want to mention to people that are transitioning out is some of the different places where they can find information and find help for, uh, as far as transitioning. Uh, can you maybe list a few of those that might help them out? Oh, absolutely. Um, well, first off, there's me. <laughs> right. uh, I, I'm going to shameless plug here. I'm, I have a ton of resources available to me. Uh, I've got a great network of people that know what they're talking about. Uh, but there's always, every base has a, a, a soldier for life transition center, uh, which is the transition center that, that you have to go through to get all of your stuff done to even exit the military. They know a lot of stuff. You just have to know the right questions to ask them. Uh, your education center Every, every base has an education center. You can go there. You can talk to them. Uh, that's where all of your career counselors are there for the military. And they know all the programs for exiting as well, or at least most of them, because uh, new programs are coming out constantly. Um, the VA is a great one for those of us that are already out. Uh, any of the, the, the veterans organizations out there are great, too. They have a lot of resources as well. Um, there, there's so many resources out there for us, uh, active duty or already out. It's, it's incredible. Uh, the amount of stuff that you find out exists when you, uh, don't, when you, when you look for it really. So those are very good for your career and your life. Another thing too is if I might add is some of the social organizations, um, that you can get involved with. Uh, I know that, you know, with, with my wife, who's a veteran, they have a lot of get togethers every few years and some are virtual. And I think those are just as important for your life, uh, psychologically. Oh, absolutely. Carl, I cannot begin to emphasize how much these resources really help and affect people on the outside. Uh, there's groups like Battle Buddies USA that I'm on on Facebook, which has been great. Uh, able to reach out and get help with businesses or with personal issues. Everyone's always there for you when you need it. Uh, VA has been great. Uh, every, every resource that's out there has just been amazing, and I can't imagine uh, life without it. Something that's going to change when you leave the military again is that community, but uh, don't ever let go of it. Uh, I find uh, after you know, decades, uh, you know, my wife come, transitioning out, it's really helped her a lot to, to keep in touch. And, uh, and I think you should too, other than some of these other organizations, really, uh, you don't realize the impact that the social organizations have on your life uh, and, and their friendships you'll have forever. Absolutely, Carl. Uh, I cannot begin to even, again, emphasize how, how important the community is and how helpful it is to be able to just get things that you need uh, or get the help that you you need and in, in just in, be able to lean on that when you need it. 
And thanks to people like you that help out with uh, some career coaching and transition coaching from uh, the actual military into the world of civilian life, specializing in helping veterans transition from being mechanics uh, in the Army out, but also in other things in the military. You know, uh, Madison, this has been awesome having you on and been great talking to you. Uh, Where can they find you on the Internet? So I've got a YouTube channel. I'm working on a website. It's not quite done yet. Uh, really quick to respond to email at contact at remoteamt.com. My YouTube channel is Remote AMT. I've got uh, a Facebook page, Remote AMT School. I'm quick to respond on there as well, as long as I'm not super busy. Uh, and if I am super busy, I will get back to you as soon as I can. I love answering questions. I love uh, talking to people, so don't hesitate to reach out and uh, look forward to my next video series, or my next video in my series. Uh, I'm talking about uh, prep schools and all that that is associated with those, so I'm um, pretty excited about that. And we will put all those links in the show notes uh, so you can find them very easily and link on them uh, right here at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Madison, again, thanks so much for joining us. Be safe out there. Thanks, Carl. It's been a pleasure being here, and I uh, really look forward to talking to you on Stuck Mike about my aircraft obsession and ultralight flying. It will be a fun time, and uh, I, again, I really appreciate being invited to come talk and really get word out there about some of these programs and uh, the services that I'm able to provide. We really appreciate what you do, uh, and we appreciate all those that have served in the military. And if you're someone who's thinking about transitioning uh, from the military into the civilian world, especially if you're a mechanic looking for a job uh, in the civilian world, uh, Madison can help. Highly recommend reaching out to him. We'll have links in the show notes. Uh, But the most important thing I think that we need to do is, uh, no matter if you're in the military, you're listening to this, you know somebody in the military, or you're just a a civilian interested in this, is uh, especially during COVID uh, or any time in your life, is don't stop now. Keep moving forward. Uh, Look look at those resources that we talked about. Uh, Reach out to fellow veterans. uh, Reach out to all those different organizations and get involved. But the most important thing is don't stop now. Do something today that'll move forward in your career. Take that one little step. It doesn't have to be much. It can be just linking on one of these these groups, some of those uh, groups on Facebook. But the most important thing to do is take one step today towards your career goal. Well, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying out there. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Mm-hmm.